You're listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast with Andrew Schumacher. Beginning of Wisdom seeks to engage in theology and apologetics in the sight of God. You can learn more at beginningwisdom.org. Beginning of Wisdom Live. I'm Andrew Schumacher. Hope you're having a wonderful Tuesday, Tuesday evening, as we always do this. Um, so I'm blessed to keep doing it. I'm I'm glad to be here, and hope that uh, your evening is finding you well as well. Unless you're in some other part of the world where it's some other part of the day. Um, so today we are going to be talking again about. Um, Justin Best and his denial of the Apostle Paul. He gave us 50 reasons to never quote Paul again in his two-part um, uh, presentation, I guess you'd call it. And we have done two episodes, one just on the, the implications that, that you know, he, he doesn't seem to have thought through because of everything that's coming out um, in his arguments based on the book of Acts, things like that. And then um, last week we talked, we basically just kind of got rid of all the low-hanging fruit, the easy stuff, you know, that was just, you know, flat falsehoods, um, easy to refute uh, things, you know, just things that were just his opinion or, you know, things he was just kind of making up, uh, speculations, you know, trying to make connections that that aren't there in the text and and uh, there's going to be a little bit more of that, but some of that has to be dealt with a little bit, a little bit more carefully, uh, a little more in depth. So we're about midway-ish through this process. Um, I think this is important to go over. Truthfully, you know, after today, after this hour, the third hour on this subject, um, we will not, we will still not have done as much uh, time as he did in those two videos. Um, but we will we will exceed it because it does take longer to refute error than it than it takes to express error. <laughs> so we will be we'll be doing that. Um, so uh, apologize. Looks like we had an issue with the recording, but good now. All right. So we are going to today, as the the title suggests, we're going to be talking about the the fact that. A lot of Justin's arguments against Paul come from unbelieving scholarship. They come from things that don't really fit, um, or that don't. You know, these are these are are people that don't believe in the Bible, making arguments based on that. Um, but he's cool with those arguments if if they can be used against Paul. Um, so again, shows the total lack of consistency in what he's looking for is he's looking for something that will help his conclusion doesn't really care if it's true or you know if if when he makes one an argument using a certain kind of evidence if that you know that may create problems for for other kinds of evidence um so we're going to talk about that today and then after this uh, in the next episodes we're going to talk about some of the more Again, in-depth stuff related to Scripture, where he's claiming that Paul is contradicting other parts of Scripture, the Torah, things like that. Um, and what we'll, we'll, you know, a lot of stuff trying to contradict Paul and Jesus, which is uh, you know, impossible to do, uh, really, if you're if you're going to be consistent. So uh, we'll we'll talk to that uh, in the next next episodes after this. So um, at this point. All right, so um, we're gonna we're gonna start by listening to some of his uh, his stuff. Uh, we're gonna so so basically we have six arguments to go through. So I'll read those pretty quick here, just so you got an idea of what to expect. So the first argument, really, it's it's I say six, but um, 
it's kind of some of these are kind of combined really it's really more like four things so one is uh the only source of paul's confirmation second peter wasn't written by peter but then he says in the next item paul calls himself an apostle 20 of the 22 times it's mentioned the only other time was second peter he says not written by peter and luke paul's traveling companion so really there are two times Paul is referred to as an apostle, one uh, written by Luke in the book of Acts, one in 2 Peter. Uh, so we're going to be talking about those. Uh, number three is Paul quotes writings of Euripides from 406 BC and claims it to be the words of the Messiah. Uh, quote, kick against the pricks. Um, and then that is the same as the last item, number six, which is Paul is, is just more fleshed out version of number three. So I don't know. He, he it looked like he really wanted to get to 50 reasons, even though some of these are the same, just written twice. But it says Paul's conversion story is almost identical to that of Pentheus, king of Thebes, from the play titled Baki, written 400 years earlier. Dionysus, instead of Jesus, is confronting his persecutor and states that you disregard my words of warning and kick against the pricks. A man defying God. So we'll we'll look at that, um, and then uh, he also uh, talks about how Paul taught popular doctrines of Stoicism um, instead of the law, and and he says in parentheses deny the flesh, so that Stoicism is denying the flesh. We'll we'll talk about that, and the early Ebionite and Nazarene churches utterly rejected Paul as a false apostle. So. Um, that those are the items we're looking at tonight. And what's really interesting is we're just going to find virtually everything he says there is not true. Like there's there's almost nothing in there that that you can actually point to as being true. Um the phrase kick against the pricks does exist in the in the Baki. That's that's about all that's true, but we're as we're going to see that doesn't really help his his position very much. All right, so uh, let me take a look. Oh, one thing I do want to do um, is uh, I, I do want to let you guys know as well. Uh, as always, we're going to do question and answer Q&A stuff uh, tonight, so at the end of the show. So definitely, if you have a question about anything we talked about or anything you know, at all theologically related, um, by all means, uh, throw it in the chat question in all caps so that we know that that's coming from you uh that's uh, that's for me and you're not just kind of talking amongst yourselves um and i'd be glad to go over some stuff with you so all right so let's go ahead and jump into the first two which are really kind of one argument that is paul the the confirmation of paul as an apostle you know what is the uh you know, status of that Says the only time it happens is Second Peter, um, and and so he says, uh, you know, it it's important that we realize. So, so first of all, that that Peter wasn't written by Second Peter. Second, you know that that really um, you, you can't go based on what you find in Scripture because, as he says, Second Peter not written by Peter. The other comes from Luke, and that's you know that's Paul's friend. Of course, he, you know, he may have called him. It's funny how Justin doesn't really want to attack Luke too much because he's using Luke a lot to, to attack Paul. So he's got this thing we talked about in the first episode of the series. So it, it's, it's kind of interesting to listen. Uh, but before we jump into this point, I want to make a point that, that kind of sets us up, and that is it's really important to realize, and if you watch his videos, you'll, you'll see this is very true. Um, Justin's case against Paul is not just that he wasn't like a full inspired apostle, like that he was a good teacher, but not an apostle. I mean, he is full on, you know, his case is that he's a false prophet, a false apostle, someone who's tricking the, the church um, and, and needs to be rejected. And, and he claims that, that people rejected him and things like that. So it isn't just, you know, Justin's case is that he's a non-believer. So we should keep that in mind because um, when we get to 2 Peter, 
you know, or, or any text that even speaks, you know, praise, you know, praises Paul at all, um, you have to realize that that is in direct odds with Justin's position. Um, so, you know, we saw that already all through the book of Acts. So that's important to keep in mind, you know, that we're, we're talking about his case. He has to make a much, much stronger case um, to, to make that case. And that is his position. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and jump into the first sort of section I'm going to play from the video on, and this is on the, where he's talking about second Peter and that, you know, it wasn't written by Peter, that kind of stuff. So grab that here quick. Right. Guys can see that. Good. Oh, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's fine. We're giving you a little. Okay. Uh, I don't like this. I don't know why I was zoomed in. Bear with me. Play it full screen for you. Okay, here we go. Okay, let's see. The only source of Paul's confirmation, Second Peter, wasn't written by Peter. Okay, this is a big one. Most people don't realize this. People go, well, is there any other apostle in the scriptures that confirms Paul as an apostle? Like any other books? Someone's got to be in there somewhere saying that something about Paul, right? Well, there's only one place that... Paul is mentioned as a so-called apostle, and that is in the book of 2 Peter, uh, where uh, actually if you dive into 2 Peter, you'll find out that most scholars agree that Peter didn't write 2 Peter. And uh, that's, I mean, please study it out. Look it up. Don't, don't go look for the answer you want. Go look for the truth. Look at every side of this conversation, and you'll see this has been a hot debate for a long, long, long time. Um, objective scholars who aren't interested in proving or disproving anything uh, about Paul or Peter, they don't even, they, they just, generally speaking, say this isn't the same literary style. This is not Paul, Peter's writing. This doesn't go along with what the way Peter speaks and writes and Peter's education level. Suddenly it goes from First Peter, Peter's writing, and it makes, sounds like Peter. And then suddenly Second Peter doesn't sound like Peter anymore. It sounds like something else. Okay. So here's the thing. We heard a couple arguments there, and, and I want to make, you know, draw them out. So the the last thing you heard him say there is that you know Second Peter doesn't sound like First Peter, it doesn't sound like Peter, and you know there's lots of things you could look at with that. That's it's somewhat subjective, but there's a lot of stuff you can do. Now, I didn't he he mentioned there the scholars, you know, that they don't have any reason to to go against Paul. Um, I'm sorry, but they do. Um, he's, he's getting this from unbelieving scholarship, from scholars who want to undermine Scripture. So yes, of course, if they, if they have any chance of trying to undermine um, a book in the Bible as being written by that person it says it's written by, um, they're going to do that. They're going to take every chance to make that case and and they have made that case and and you know it, it's funny it, it happens all the time <laughs> that you know liberal unbelieving scholars will say something and and it's based on a lot of conjecture but then a lot most a bunch of people just believe it and then you know they'll say things like oh there's no evidence for this or that being really historical and then lo and behold we find evidence that it, it really is and and over and over and over and over again. Or or this book couldn't have been written by the person that it says it's written by because it must have come hundreds of years later. And then they'll find evidence that, that proves that, oh, actually, no, it must be very early and, and fully falls within the lifespan of the person that's said to be the uh, the author. So over and over and over again, this kind of, of thing gets, you know, gets disproven. Um, now 
and 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 so no, the, these scholars are are not unbiased, not in the least. Uh, I want to point out, yeah. So he doesn't. I want to show you this again. I'm going to kind of skip forward a little, but he's you know he's quoting the part where you know Peter mentions Paul and that he mentions him as an apostle or that he has you know, that he writes scripture because people twist Paul like they do the other scriptures. So Peter is definitely affirming Paul and his writings of scripture. But here you see uh, this uh, screenshot. This is from his video, Bible.org. Um, this is pretty much, if you if you look up the authorship of Second Peter, this will be your first hit, most likely. This is a conservative article. I would actually recommend you read this article. Um, it's great. Um, I don't have time to get into all of the so-called evidence against Second Peter and, and how it's very easily and simply bonded to. Uh, this article, I think, do, actually does a, a fantastic job of doing so. Um, so if you look up authorship of Second Peter, you'll see it there, Bible.org. And it's not that long an article. It just kind of goes through everything, um, has all the original source citations, and you can look things up for yourself. Um, you don't have to take anyone's word for it. Um, but, you know, he, the, the fact is, again, um, this isn't the only time Paul is affirmed as an apostle. I mean, it's the only time he's affirmed as an apostle by another apostle. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's about it. Um, there, there is another time. And, you know, he mentions it in, you know, that, that item on his list. He says, you know, Luke. Luke was his traveling companion. That's the other time. But he never quotes it. Uh, and, and there's a reason he doesn't quote it. So I want to go ahead and bring it up here. It's, it's in Acts. Um, Acts 14.14. This is when Paul is also called an apostle by Luke. And it says, But when the apostles... Barnabas and Paul heard about it. They tore their clothing and rushed into the crowd, shouting and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you. So this is, you know, the people were trying to offer a sacrifice to Barnabas and Paul because they did a miracle or something. So, but look at this. You know, Luke refers to them both, Barnabas and Paul, as apostles. Now, apostle means sent one. It, it means a person, you know, one who is sent out so you know it in the fact is paul's being called an apostle and so is barnabas now we don't have anything written by barnabas but there's no rule that says all i mean we don't have things written by most of the apostles so that that's not anything to be too surprised about but you know the question i would have to ask you know on in justin's view is, is Barnabas a true apostle or a false apostle? Luke thinks Barnabas and Paul are both apostles. But tell me about Barnabas. Do you think he's true or false? You know, it, it might be nice to say that he was a false apostle since, you know, he and, and Paul did have a disagreement in part ways. So that might be nice to say. But then... Uh, Again, you know, there's other arguments he makes, and, and we'll talk about these at a later time, about, well, there's, there can only be 12, and there's the 12 gates and the 12 foundations, New Jerusalem, all that. So that must be, you know, the 12, you know, with Matthias replacing Judas, and therefore there can't be any other apostles. Okay, so Barnabas then is a false apostle, so we really, really shouldn't trust anything Luke has to say, except that a whole bunch of your arguments against Paul from Acts that come from Luke. So we, we come back to that problem again. Um, you know, in Acts 15, the instructions that, that are given to the Gentile believers, um, they are sent with Paul and Barnabas. They're the ones who take that out and, uh, and to the Gentiles and all that. So, I mean, that's not, that's affirmation, not rejection. And that's not just Luke affirming Paul. That's, the entire Jerusalem council affirming Paul and Barnabas. So again, that's, that's an issue. So, you know, when, and when it comes to second Peter, 
you know, the, the thing is, I, I should, you know, I want I did want to mention a couple of the, the specific arguments. Um, you know, he says that there, it's been debated for a long, long time and it has the computer, um, had a, a, a little bit longer road to get accepted into the canon. Um, the earliest mention, and it's mentioned in that Bible.org article, that there's any doubt about it comes from Origen, and but he didn't say he that he doubted it. He didn't. He thought it was scripture. He quoted it as scripture. So the first time that any doubt is mentioned in any literature we have, it's from someone who doesn't believe that doubt, who believes that Peter wrote Second Peter. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's a pretty flimsy foundation. Um, I do want to say, so there's, uh, I want to quote, and this is from another article, another source. So in addition to that Bible.org, this is a paper by Michael Kruger called the authenticity of second Peter. Um, it says, uh, origin so he's talking about origin who lived roughly from 182 to 251, is the first to cite Second Peter by name at the beginning of the 3rd century and often finds himself as the pivotal church father in discussions over the epistle's authenticity. If one assumes that the date of the first explicit citation is roughly concomitant with the book's composition, then Origen's late citation certainly casts the only and deciding vote against Second Peter. However, um, the date of the first explicit citation is hardly the only data that proves to be relevant, despite the fact that Origen recognizes that some had doubts about the epistle. Um, he himself certainly did not. He quoted the epistle six times and clearly regarded it as scripture. It is evident that he considers Second Peter as equal in authority with First Peter by saying that even Peter blows on the twin trumpets of his own epistle. So that's that's a quote from the first time Second Peter is mentioned outside of Scripture, that it's it's Peter's twin trumpets of his own. Um, so it makes no sense to that he would quote it if he if it were late or not authentic. Um, you know. Now contrast this with the Book of Enoch. Enoch is written sometime in the Second Temple period, certainly not written by Enoch from the guy you know from way back in Genesis. Um, Justin thinks that's scripture. I mean, if you go to his channel, he has a Bible trivia thing he does, and and Enoch's right in there with with other books of the Bible. He he thinks it's it's scripture. So that book was never universally accepted by the Jew, even by the Jews before Christ. You know, it was read, it was pondered, but it was never fully accepted as scripture. And though there were some Christians who thought that it was scripture, um, it was never accepted even into the Apocrypha. So you've got, you've got a lot of Second Temple Jewish literature. Only some of that makes it into what we know of as the Apocrypha. Enoch isn't one of those books. It's, it doesn't even make it in there. So my purpose, really, it's not to argue about Enoch, but my point is, once again, you know, Justin has two sets of standards. He does not think that he has to, you know, the books he thinks should be included but aren't, have to meet the same standards as those books he thinks should not be included but are. Again, because it's not driven by the evidence. It's driven by his desired conclusion. Um, so he'll reject 2 Peter because it calls Paul an apostle. You know, he doesn't reject 2 Peter because of its, its, uh, you know, its evidence of authenticity because it's much, 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 much better than Enoch as being authentically scripture but he accept, he goes ahead and accepts you know so you know that gives you an idea of, of where he's coming all right let's move on uh next couple arguments this is the argument regarding euripides the baki this is a a play that was written about 400 years before christ and you have um he says that that it's being plagiarized so let's go ahead play that section quick
finding the right spot here. Right near the end. Okay. Here we go. Let me go ahead and show you something uh, pertaining to um, this play. Okay. And yes, Paul admits he's full of guile, lies, and robbery in different verses. Uh, let's see here. Here we go. So this is when, uh, one, in one of Paul's examples of his conversion on the road to Damascus, he tells this story of how Messiah um, said something to him, said something to him very interesting. And again, it's very interesting not only what he said, but the context in which it was spoken is a direct copy of a play. So let's read it real quick. Let's just go ahead and let's see. This is, uh, by the way, uh, Pentecost is described differently in John 20 than it is in Acts. That's a different topic, so to speak. Okay. So Paul's on the road to Damascus, right? And he says, And when we were fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Okay, so this literally is a direct quotation from a play by Euripides in 406 BCE. And I did look into this more, um, and it's legit. Um, so in this play, I'll just give you the, the cliff notes here. And of course, you can pause this and read this if you'd like to. Um, in this play, instead of it being P, uh, Paul and Jesus, or Paul and Messiah, Yahusha, it's actually Dionysus, which is a false god, speaking to Pentheus, king of... Okay, so, wow. Um, I'm going to stop in there, because I just... Got to. So I want, I want to show you something, actually. So, so here on the screen, and, and it may be small for you, um, but right at the top it says, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. This is in quotes. This is a direct quotation from a play by Euripides. So there's, there's, there are quite a few errors here. First of all, the, the Dionysus in the play is not the Greek god Dionysus. But, but yeah, let's... Let's kind of jump in because this is this is really he's like, yeah, I looked into it and it's legit. It's legit that you you found a phrase in a text, but everything virtually everything else he said there was not true. Um, so the, the question is, did did Paul by telling that recounting the story steal from this play um, and that scholars have just recognized that this is the truth? Um, so first of all there are some more important parallels to consider. Uh, let me see. I do have a couple of things up here. Um, so I've got some quotes from, from the Baki. And, and, and it's not just... Uh, so it's not just the kick against the pricks part of Paul's story. Um, or, or really the book of Acts story, there, there's more to it. So first is the question, is the issue of um, uh, uh, of the jailbreak, the, the fact that the people are let out of jail. So um, let's, let's read this. This is from the Baki, uh, and it is right here, this, this section. Oh, let me show you. You guys can this. Okay. Um, again, it's probably really small, but it is this section right here that I'm going to be reading uh, right here. So it says, um, it says, Pentheus, we are here having caught this prey for which you sent us, nor have we set out in vain. This beast was docile in our hands and did not withdraw in flight, but yielded not unwillingly. He did not turn pale or change the wine-dark complexion of his cheek, but laughed and allowed us to bind him and lead him away. He remained still, making my work easy. And I in shame said, Stranger, 
I do not lead you away willingly, but by order of Pentheus who sent me. And the Baki whom you shut up, uh, whom you carried off and bound in the chains of the public prison, are set loose and gone and are gambling in the meadows, invoking Bromius as their god. Of their own accord, the chains were loosed from their feet and the keys opened the doors without human hand. This man, Dionysus, has come to Thebes full of many wonders we must take care of the rest. So Dionysus, again, is, is a man. It's, it's not a Greek god in, in this story, in this play. Um, but gosh, you know, this is a, a miraculous setting loose from prison. It kind of sounds like Acts, uh, Acts 12, uh, 6 through, no, 6 through 11. What is, uh, what is that about? Uh, well, you know, we, we know of these uh, prison breaks, but it says, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards before the door were watching the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood near him, and a light shone in the prison cell. And striking Peter's side, he woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. The same phrase about the chains being loosed of their own accord, the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so. He said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He went out and was following him and did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but was thinking he was seeing a vision. So, you know, Peter. this happens to Peter. Now, it, there's another time when, when Paul is, is miraculously rescued as well, but, but this is Peter, and it sounds just like the Baki. So, by Justin's logic, Peter is plagiarizing the same play as Paul's plagiarizing. Because, look, at there's a story in that same play about someone being miraculously rescued, right? Um, yeah, so, so that's a problem. Once it, This is what I mean by if you make an argument and it's a good argument, you got to be careful because maybe it, it proves too much. <laughs> um, so... You know, there, yeah, there's some some parallels going on here, but these these parallels should be taken as, you know, simple. Like it, it was a commonly, you know, it was just a common thing to think of. You know, miraculous rescue is sort of the the stamp of approval of of God of or of the gods if if you're pagan. But uh, it happened. I mean, there it is once again, and now it's about Peter. So. Are you going to reject Peter on the same basis? I, you know, I doubt it, you know, because he's, he's not going to be consistent on that. But now, Peter, or, so let's talk about this phrase, kick against the pricks. So first, first of all, as, as we saw here, when, when we're looking at this, this quote, it is hard to kick against the pricks. In quotes, this is a direct quote from the play. Okay, let's read the play. How about we do that? Because is it a direct quote from the play? Um, as we should know by now, uh, no, of course not. Like at this point, we should know that any time basically that Justin's quoting something, unless you see him put it on the screen and read it, it's it's likely false. It's likely a miscitation. Um, so let's see. Okay, right here. This is the uh, the section. Um. Oh, and let me pull up the. So it says, uh, it says, do not instruct me, but be content in your escape from prison, or shall I bring punishment upon you again? And then Dionysus, so this is the Paul character, right? He's the one speaking. He says, I would sacrifice to the God rather than kick against his spurs in anger, a mortal against a God. Did anybody say it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks or allow even allowing for translational difference? No, no one said it was hard. First of all, second of all, the words are in Dionysus's mouth, which is the Paul character. So he's saying I would sacrifice to the God rather than kick against the goads or the pricks or the spurs or whatever. Like I would not do this. I would, I would sacrifice. I would, you know, I would, I would not challenge God. You know, he's he's denying he would do a thing. In Acts, Jesus says to Paul, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks. So first of all, it's not a direct citation. Direct citation. Now, the phrase kick against the spurs or 
no pricks, whatever. That phrase is in there. Um, just the, that particular little phrase. But, you know, um, here, here's the, the problem is that that phrase is actually even older than uh, the Baki. Um, it is, there's something called Pinder's Odes. Uh, and the quote, this is from, this is older uh, than the Baki, I think. I'm not sure exactly how old. I've lost the year on it, but uh, you can look it up. But it, it says, uh, this is the quote. It says, it is best to take the yoke on one's neck and bear it lightly. Kicking against the goad makes the path treacherous. I hope that I may associate with noble men and please them. And then uh, another play uh, uh, Aeschylus um, by, by Aeschylus is the, the playwright Agamemnon is the name of the play in line uh, 1624 it says uh, this is published before he died in 456 BC so I do have a year on that that's earlier than, than the 405 BC for the Baki it says you speak like that you who sit at the lower oar when those upon the higher bench control the ship, old as you are, you shall learn or you shall learn how bitter it is at your age to be schooled from prudence as the lesson set before you. Bonds and the pangs of hunger are far the best doctors of the spirit when it comes to instructing the old. Do you have eyes and lack understanding? Do not kick against the goads lest you strike to your own hurt. Um, so there's there's lots of other examples, um, but I want I want to read one more. This is uh, Diogenianus uh, of Heraclea wrote he wrote an alphabetical lexicon which is mostly poetic idioms. So it's basically a lexicon of sayings, things that people just say, idioms. And so this was uh, in his. In Centuria 7, section 84, line 1. This is basically the, it's a very short entry. It says, you are kicking against the pricks. The saying is clear. So, multiple sources use this phrase. And, and it generally means, it's, it's in the context of, of, of gods and human beings, and that, you know, defying the gods is kicking against the goads. Basically, you, you kick something and it hurts you. Um, because of that, and, and it was a common phrase all throughout this this uh, the ancient world, or at least ancient uh, you know Greco Roman world, perhaps. So, uh, and I read lots of sources said you know it's a Greek and Latin sort of phrase uh, that that uh, you know it it was a common saying is what it was. So no, Paul didn't quote a play both. You know Jesus, because Jesus is the one who said it. Um, both Jesus and all, you know, and the Baki and, and these others were quoting a common turn of phrase for the time. That's all. Um, yeah. So he he says, yeah, I looked into this and it's legit. Yeah. Well, you didn't look into it enough to see that it's not being plagiarized. It's it's just a common saying. Uh, all it took was a little bit of effort and but but again that's that's not his goal his goal is to try to discredit paul so you can't discredit paul you know if he's just using a common phrase discredit paul by saying that he plagiarized so that's that's why and the conclusion's there all right uh the next one is that paul pot taught paul taught popular doctrines of stoicism instead of the law and parenthetically deny the flesh um now, Paul, now Justin didn't really talk about this point. Uh, it was one of his 50 points. He didn't really talk about it in detail in his videos. He did spend some time accusing Paul of denying Jesus came in the flesh, but nothing about Stoic philosophy. Um, somehow, though, I'm, I'm guessing he thinks denying the flesh is a Stoic ideal promoted by Paul and in opposition to the law. So, uh, First of all, I mean, there's no verse I could find in the whole Bible, including in Paul, that explicitly uses the terms deny and flesh together. It, there's, I couldn't find anything that, that said that. Um, now, I mean, specifically that, that phrase. I mean, maybe there's something equivalent. But again, he, you know, he doesn't really, 
not really careful with his citations, so I'm not surprised. Um, but as for Stoicism, you know, the thing is, I, I did study Stoicism a little bit in, in ethics when I was in college. Philosophy is what my Bachelor of Arts is in, and I got, I did study some Stoicism. But, you know, I, I never, I didn't remember hearing any deny the flesh stuff in Stoicism either. Um, the, uh, here, let me pull up. Oh, if I still have it. Oh no, I don't. Um, I just I wrote it down here though. The the Stanford Encyclopedia entry on Stoicism. Uh, it has this to say about th this is interesting. So first of all, what is Stoicism? Is essentially as an ethical practice. It was the idea that you don't that the highest good is just to control what you can control. So. Have, you have control over your own emotions, your own reactions to things. You don't really have control over what happens to you. And so the Stoics, you know, basically taught you should be self-controlled um, because that's what you have control over. But that's not all they taught. So this is what the Stanford Encyclopedia says about Stoicism and its relationship to God and what God is like. Uh, it says... Uh, in accord with this ontology, the Stoics, like the Epicureans, make God a corporeal entity, though not, as with the Epicureans, one made of everyday matter. But while the Epicureans think the gods are too busy being blessed and happy to be bothered with the governance of the universe, Epicurea, um, and that comes from Epicurus' letter, um, one of his letters, uh, the Stoic God is imminent throughout the whole of the creation and directs its development down to the smallest detail. The governing metaphor of Stoic cosmology is biological, in contrast with the fundamentally mechanical conception of the Epicureans. The entire cosmos is a living thing, and God stands to the cosmos as an animal's life force stands to the animal's body, enlivening, moving, and directing it by its presence throughout the Stoic's insistence that only bodies are capable of causing anything, however, guarantees that this cosmic life force must be conceived of as somehow corporeal. Now, why is that important? Um, the, the thing is, the Stoics believed they had a fleshly sort of god, maybe a different kind of matter, but, but corporeal. Well, that's the exact opposite of what, what Justin says Paul teaches. Paul, you know, and, and we're going to get into this in a future episode, that he says Paul taught that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. Um, he's trying to make Paul out to be the, the Antichrist that John is warning about, um, which is the exact opposite of the Stoics. So, again, I mean, which is it? it, it was he teaching Stoicism or was he not teaching Stoicism? Uh, again, it's just, it's interesting. But, um, you know, the thing is, the... You know, if they taught a fleshly God, they wouldn't be teaching to deny the flesh, is, is I guess my point. Now, neither Paul nor the Stoics say that, but what, what do we have from Jesus? Well, Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So, yes, Jesus doesn't say deny the flesh. He says deny himself. Um. But I would ask Justin, I mean, what's the difference between denying yourself and denying the flesh? Like, can you tell me, can you separate those out biblically for me? And, and I don't think you really can. Um, but again, I, I'd, be, I'd love to hear his answer, but I can actually back it up in Scripture. All right. And then I think this is the last point as far as the, uh, the arguments that he makes from unbelieving and liberal the or, uh, scholarship is that the early Ebionite and Nazarene churches utterly rejected Paul as a false apostle. So, um, okay. So who are who are these people? <laughs> you know, I I think it's I always think it's kind of funny when when people try to appeal to the Ebionites to to find a place for their doctrine. Oh, these Ebionites, these early, early, early Christians, they're, they believed like I do, you know, before it was all corrupted. Um, and I'm just like, okay, cool. Um, which Ebionite text do you get that from? 
is there aren't any. There aren't any Ebionite texts. There are no surviving writings from Ebionites. Um, we only know about them because the early church wrote against them. From the very beginning, um, there, were, there were Ebionites. Uh, what we know about them comes from the early church rejecting them and writing against them. Um, so basically, we're, according to Justin, because the Ebionites supposedly, you know, they rejected Paul, we're supposed to reject Paul on the basis of the testimony of people whose testimony we don't have. Is that, am I understanding that correct? I mean, in, in, uh, you know, in, in another place, um, related to scriptures and, and, and Paul's doctrine, he says, you know, it's, it's not based on the testimony of two to three witnesses. And I'm like, okay, so Ebionites is not even one witness, but, but you want us to believe that. You want us to go with the Ebionites, even though we don't have a single thing they wrote. Okay, we, they can't speak for themselves, but we just, we're going to use that as, as evidence. That's, that's, that's strong, very strong. Um, what about the, this group called the Nazarenes? Well, um, they, uh, they come pretty, pretty early. So early they are in Scripture. Um, let me go ahead and pull that up here. Uh, this is Acts 24. Verse 5 um, says, For we have found this man to be a public menace and one who causes riots among all the Jews throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, they're talking about, I believe, uh, yeah, talking about Paul. Um, but this is, you know, someone in opposition to the Christians talking about Paul. And he says, uh, oh, where is it? I rolled around it. Okay, it says, for we have found this man to be a public menace and one who causes riots among all the Jews throughout the Roman Empire and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So Paul is a ringleader of the Nazarenes. That's, that's in Acts. That's in the Bible. But Justin says the Nazarenes rejected Paul. That's curious, right? Um, how, how can that be? Well, the fact is that uh, this is a term, this is one of the early terms that referred to Christians. Um, it's, it's in the book of Acts. They call it Nazarenes. They call Jesus the Nazarene and, and the people following him Nazarenes. Well, so what's, where are the ones that reject Paul? Well, you don't get them till the 4th century. There's a group in the 4th century who reject Paul. And they call themselves Nazarenes. So, so we have Acts that doesn't reject Paul, and church fathers, all bef you know, prior to the fourth century, who don't reject Paul. But because some sect in the fourth century decides to reject Paul, well, yeah, we should too. Okay, I mean, wow, I mean, you're really grasping at that point if you. Yeah, I want to believe the 4th century Nazarenes over the New Testament. But that makes a lot. So, you know, it, it really just kind of wrap things up as far as this, this episode. You know, it should really concern anyone who agrees with Justin. You know, that he is employing the same bad arguments that liberal scholars have been trying to do for decades and centuries to attack scripture. When he does things like attack second peter you know i wonder what he thinks of books like esther or daniel or other old testament texts that also have histories that are are less established than other books of the old testament there was you know there there was controversy about whether esther's really scripture it doesn't contain the divine name and turns about daniel you know just because of what it contains and and there's so yeah there's there have been some debates about things, but you know, hey, if there have been, that's all that he can say about Second Peter. There have been debates, so he just flat out says it wasn't written by Peter. Okay, so you're going to say the same thing about Esther or Daniel, or or books in the Old Testament, because frankly, we have a lot less attestation and, and the books in the Old Testament than we do uh, in the New. But uh, 
you know, if if you think I'm I'm wrong, you know, show me, show me your sources that 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 make this case and and make it a slam dunk. Um, the fact is, and what he what Justin cannot get away from, is the New Testament affirms Paul. You can't get rid of Paul without getting rid of the New Testament. I mean, you get you you blow all kinds of holes in the New Testament, and you can't get rid of the New Testament without getting rid of Jesus. And I know he says, well. I, I know the Messiah is the Messiah and, and all that. I know you do today. I know you do today. Um, but again, let's 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 see how things go. You know, now you know he's appealing to liberal scholarship to make his case. Um, if he's going to be consistent, he's going to find himself in opposition to a lot of stuff in the Old Testament, um, a lot of things right now in the New Testament that he thinks is real solid. Um, he's going to find himself, you know. In, in opposition to those things as well, if he's consistent um, in, in the arguments that he's making. So that's, that's a big, big problem. Now, so, so that's, you know, those are his arguments coming from bad liberal scholarship. Um, going forward, uh, in next week's show, what we're going to do is, you know, we've got, based on what we did today and what we've done up to this point, I believe we have here. I think we have like 17 points left um, that are coming from scripture that are actually about the scriptures and supposed problems uh, within those. But that's what we're going to start tackling next week. And so if you haven't, if you watched his videos and I haven't gotten to part of it yet, um, I will. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if I'll get to every single sentence he uttered, but uh, I will get to all 50 of his points. So let's go ahead and go to any questions we have. Go ahead and pull that stuff up and we'll see. Um, we can see. Okay, um, so I've got a question from Max Hyatt. It says, people point to Acts 15 and 21, saying Gentiles will eventually learn the law in synagogues. Paul repeats himself in Acts 21, saying Gentiles observe no such thing. Only these four are listed. Acts 15 was written around 47 AD and Acts 21 around 56 AD. It doesn't sound like this is a progression since Paul restates the same four things, right? About a decade later. So a couple things, yeah, related to Acts 15 and, and 21. So um, I do have, just, just so you know, um, in my Cross and Torah series uh, on the channel, I do have stuff about Acts 15 where I, I go verse by verse through that. Um, but the, the things I would... I would point to that I think are the most damaging to the Hebrew roots position out of those texts. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of things that are, that are damaging. Um, but you'll notice, yeah, when they say that, yeah, they, the Gentiles will learn to observe, it's, it's almost universal that they say, you know, because it's new believers, man. It's it's new believers. Um, we know it's decades and dec it's it's a long, long time between you know by the time the Jerusalem Council happens, the the believers, especially the believers in Antioch, especially if you if you compare texts with the Book of Galatians and Paul's accounting of his his own his own history, that by the time you get to Acts fifteen, it's been a very long time. Um, many, many, many years. And then these people come to Antioch and say, you have to be circumcised. The controversy has nothing to do with new believers. It has to do with the, the peace between Gentile believers in Christ and the Jewish communities they find themselves in um, and, and, and living in, in harmony with them. But I would point to, you, you mentioned the four, the four things, the, the four uh, things that are 
are um, instructed from the Jerusalem Council. Well, what I think is really interesting to look at, I'm going to pull it up here. Um, so this is the words of James, I believe. Yeah. The words of James, this is in the council, during the council. It says here in verse 19, Therefore I conclude that we should not cause difficulty for those from among the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write a letter to them to abstain from the pollution of idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For Moses has those who proclaim him in every city from ancient generations. Notice he's talking about the past, not the future because he's read aloud in the synagogues every Sabbath. There's lots of reasons why they should do these things because Moses is read. Not just they should do these things because Moses will be taught to them later. Actually, they should do these things because this helps them stay in harmony with these people who are, are hearing Moses every, every week so, and have heard from Moses from a long time. He's talking about the culture. But this is the interesting thing. So this is what James says during the council. But then it goes on to say, it seemed best to the apostles and elders together with the whole church to send men chosen, blah, blah, blah. Paul and Barnabas get sent. Mention that. Um, and, and this is the letter. This is the actual letter. This is what was actually sent. So what are the four things? And it, they're not exactly the same. Uh, they're very close. It says uh, down here in verse 28, for it seemed best... To the Holy Spirit and to us to place on you no greater burden, no greater burden, except these necessary things. Now, does that mean they don't have to obey God in anything else? Like they can go murder people and stuff? No. In the controversy of some people saying, and, and it's, it's earlier in the text as well, the Gentiles should be made to keep the whole law of Moses and be circumcised. Those are the, the things at issue. Here's, what we, here's the conclusion we came to. No greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from food sacrificed to idols. That is not the same thing James said. James said the pollution of idols. Now here's what you will almost 100%. I haven't found an exception to this. Maybe you will, but when you hear people in the Hebrew Roots Movement or Torah Observant Talking about Acts 15, they almost invariably quote the first one, not the second one. Why? Well, pollution of idols is a very, it's a, it's kind of vague, right? And, and they can say, well, yeah, don't be idolatrous, right? That's in the Torah. But that's not what actually is sent in the letter. What's actually sent and, and actually told to actual Gentiles is abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. Now, two of those items, food sacrificed to idols and things strangled, these two items are not in the Torah. There is no Torah command that says, do not eat food sacrificed to idols and do not eat something that has been strangled. It does say to abstain from blood. It does say, of course, to abstain from sexual immorality. But two of the, of the four are not straight from the Torah. But they are intended to, again, keep harmony uh, between the, the Jews and Gentiles. So that's something I, I think is very interesting to note when you're looking at Acts 15. You know, Acts 21 is, is often cited where, where Paul, you know, that's where, again, this, this same letter is... Uh, is cited and, and other things happen there. But but yeah, nothing, you know, like like you said, Max, that supposedly Acts 15 is like, okay, you know, they're new believers, so here's just the things you need to start with, but you're gonna learn the the rest of you know the rest later. Um and then a decade later, it's just these these things again, you know. Um and I don't remember the exact verse. Um, but uh, yeah, but, but you're right. It's, it's the same 
same four things come up again. And because that's the four things that, that the council decided, hey, these are wisdom. These are things that are wise in order to uh, have peace. So, yeah, I think that's a very good point. All right. Um, another question from the Daily Gripe. Doesn't geographic distribution of Second Peter also show its broad acceptance among the churches in the empire? I'm not aware of how it proliferated, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's all the New Testament, right? It all was proliferated quite, quite widely, and that's why we still have it. Um, no one ever had the chance to uh, take it and corrupt it. That was never an option. Um, okay. Another question. Um, does this step, oh, this is from Misty. It says, does this step lead to the rejection of Jesus as God? I think Justin's already there, at least from the, uh, some of the stuff that I've seen where, um, from the, it, from quite a while ago, actually, where, uh, you know, they, they work pretty closely with some some other folks and and all coming together talking about you know their rejection of the trinity and and all of that um certainly i mean paul is very you know talks a lot about the deity of christ so um yeah if you, if you reject paul you, you you have just less of that stuff not that you don't have anything uh, to promote that but, but i i think that's true um let's see Looking to see. I think, so this one looks like it was included. It doesn't have the caps in the front. Uh, Kingdom in Contest asks, when will you let me interview for Torah Apologetics? We're going to do that, Sean. We are. We really are. Um, and we're going to do the debate, like we said. Um, I have not backed out of that. Just life, preparing for something like that takes time. And, uh, you know, this, this is much simpler as I, I'm sure you're aware. Um, so, uh, just to be able to take that time in addition to what I'm already doing away from uh, my wife and kids is not, not an option right this second, but I'm looking forward to it here as, as soon as we can. Um, let's see. And I do hope that we can, like, uh, Adam at Parable of the Vineyard said he would, Post it, and I, st I still hope we can do that. That is my goal. Okay, another question here from Max Hyatt. Uh, Jesus touched the man that had skin disease and with the women with blood issue, also touched the dead. All these were stayed in Leviticus to make one unclean. Thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think that is interesting. Um... And, you know, it doesn't tell us what happened after that. So it doesn't really, you know, in, in, in minute detail. So it doesn't really tell us whether he does or doesn't, um, you know, go in and do ritualistic, you know, the, the stuff, you know, that you do. You wash and are unclean till evening or that kind of thing. However, um, what I find interesting is that, you know, when he touches the dead and they come back to life or when he touches the the sick and people with the the blood the woman with the blood issue and and it's healed what's happening is when he touches people they become clean so instead of what the law says that if you touch someone they will you know you will become unclean what actually transpires is that you know when he touches them they become clean they no longer have whatever it is whether it's death or, you know, discharge or whatever, it's, it's gone. And so if some, if, a you know, someone trying to tell Jesus you're unclean came along and, and Hey, you know, you're, you did this and, and why aren't you doing something? I, again, I don't know what he did. It doesn't really go into that detail, but, but the pattern of what we see is he, he could easily point to what do you, what dead person, you know, I, he's alive, you know, that kind of thing. So again, it's uh, 
it, I think it is very telling about who who he is and and what he what he came to do. You know that he he comes. You know that the the whole cleanliness code is it, it's a picture. It's a it's a huge picture of you know the fact that God is is holy and spotless and and that we are not <laughs> and that we are all really unclean before him and the people who are unclean who couldn't go do the the you know couldn't go to the temple couldn't do their the sacrifices couldn't be you know among the people they had to you know separate themselves is is all symbolic of of the truth of of who we are and, and you know our our relationship to God without Christ but then when he comes he flips that and and the truth is that he then makes us clean he makes us no longer have that sin that separated us from god um he you know he cleanses us completely um so yeah i think that's that's a very very powerful thing uh, when you when you really ponder it so all right i i appreciate everybody coming looks like that's the the last question i see here um and uh yeah i i hope that you're all blessed and uh definitely will look forward to next week as we continue to uh really start to get into the deep into scripture um to see you know where again justin's claiming there's these contradictions and and there just aren't so uh, until then i i pray that you are blessed and that you following God and trusting him in this uh, crazy time we're living and God bless. Thank you for listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast. You can follow Andrew Schumacher and the ministry at beginningwisdom.org, where you can find links to the YouTube channel and follow on social media. Sign up for email alerts to never miss new content. Please like, share, and rate the episode if it has blessed you. God bless and always be ready.